Hi, and welcome to the Habits Habit Podcast. My name is Brian Conroy, and this is, well, it's my podcast. Um, so if you're listening for the first time, a couple of things. First of all, uh, make sure you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, particularly episode two, which features one of the uh, world's leading authorities on habits, Wendy Wood, who wrote the book Good Habits, Bad Habits, and is, I've subsequently found out, held up by other psychologists and researchers as this, like, demigod of habits and um, so I didn't really know that at the time so I was very lucky to have her and you really should take a listen that's episode two so that's one thing and um, the second thing is um, that right now on the website there is a free course that I'm running for anyone in the run-up to New Year's Eve uh, who's looking at making some changes now look if you're listening to this in June uh, it's just as applicable if you want to make a change um, but it's geared towards um, New Year's resolutions and you can sign up now and give us your email no spam ever promise um, at www.thehabitshabit.com and I don't know why I said www which you definitely don't need right let's get on to it then uh, my guest this week is uh, Pat Davili. before I spoke to Pat um, all I really knew about him was I'd seen him on the Late Late Show and I knew that he was some sort of personal trainer who started off with very few clients on a beach in Galway that's about it um, but by the end of this conversation I uh I think I might have fallen in love with Pat a little bit, and I think you probably will too. So uh, enjoy. This is Pat Davili on habits, life, his journey, the full shooting match. The first question, Pat, is a slightly odd one, but how do I know you is the question that occurs to me because for it, you're one of those people whose name I started to hear long before I'd ever seen you, heard you, before you were on the Late Late Show. Do you have any idea how you became to become known like this? <laughs> Facebook, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I bumped into someone at an event a couple of years ago and she said, I've heard your name for years. I presume you'd be twice the age you are. I don't know. I did a lot of things in a short period of time in terms of trying to get myself out there. I know I did 88 free talks back in 2015 to try and overcome a fear of public speaking. I ran a lot of free Facebook groups over the years on weight loss and goal setting. So there's a couple of thousand people would have gone through them. Did a few books, did a little bit of TV, a little bit of radio, lots of different little bits and pieces. <laughs> and it all comes together to be Pat Davili, the man everyone knows. I don't think anyone knows me, but but I live in my own little bubble down in Galway and just get on with it. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm surprised sometimes when people recognize me. Let me ask about uh, the public speaking thing, uh, which wasn't something I was actually aware of. But now that you've brought it up, it's a really interesting um, place to start mm. um, maybe an unusual place to start. Uh, but 88 talks to overcome a fear of public speaking. Yeah, this was probably 2014, 2015. And I suppose I grew my fitness brand online and so you can hide behind a camera and you can hide behind a screen and hide behind your social media accounts and so i could put out an image of being a sort of i won't say an extrovert but being quite your traditional personal trainer but in reality i was always quite shy quite introverted quite nervous i always saw myself as someone who didn't fit in and so public speaking was a scary thing to me and when I transitioned from being a social media person to getting to do some TV and radio, I think there was a disconnect there between the guy that was behind the screen and then the guy that was showing up in public. And so I recognized the need to tackle that. And I, I, I wanted to become a comfortable public speaker. I felt I had messages worth sharing. And I'm a big believer, anything you want to get good at in life, you have to practice. 
and a lot of us are quick to tell ourselves i'm bad at dancing i'm bad at public speaking i'm bad at communicating i don't think there's anything you can't learn and so i treated that year almost like an apprenticeship and said i'm going to go up and down the country i'll speak anywhere that'll have me and so i spoke in schools and colleges and small businesses big businesses I jokingly say I spoke in an elderly lady's shed in Roscommon who told me she had a gym and I turned up and it was her and her friends at her house. <laughs> and, but I gained so much experience and I, I made so many mistakes and I learned so much about myself. And, and again, I picked up a few people at each talk probably that started following my stuff. It was a hugely beneficial year. It's something I always encourage people to do if they do want to get into public speaking. But most people aren't willing to do it because not many people turn up to those talks. You make a lot of mistakes. You're paying your own petrol money. But again, I think there's apprenticeships that you have to serve. And for me, that was, again, a really useful year. From my point of view, I'm just trying to, what's the sequence of events? Or how do you go from thinking, I, there's a disconnect, I'm not good at public speaking, to here's what I'm going to do? Because one of the things I'm interested in trying to thread together is how goals, motivation, purpose uh, and then habits and the the action and you mentioned you have to do it for anything to actually happen like what what was your process then and is that the same process you use to do everything and to achieve success or to get good at stuff yeah i believe in immersion and i believe in being honest about what you're willing to do to achieve something so and the the reference i would give to people is to imagine if you were to draw a big circle on a piece of paper and imagine that everything you're interested in life goes into that circle. So you're interested in weight loss, you're interested in great relationships, you're interested in financial success. But then within that big circle, draw a very small circle. And that's what you're committed to. And there's a lot less things that we're committed to than what we're interested in. And so for me, it's important just to be honest with myself about where's my commitment and where's my interest, because only where I'm committed am I going to achieve things. And there's lots of things in life that I'm interested in, but not committed to. There's loads of things I'd love to be good at. But again, I'm honest with myself. I say I'm not willing to put in the hours. And for me at that time, public speaking, for whatever reason, was something I decided I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm making a decision. I'm jumping before I, I feel ready. And uh, yeah, back then I used to back myself into a corner publicly uh, where I'd, I'd put something up on social media and say, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and it was, I put pressure on myself. I got accountability that way. And I think I set out at the start of the year and I said, I'm going to do hundred talks and, you know, got to 88 in the end, as I say. But for me, it was just a case of something, a lot of the things that we want to tackle, we're afraid of. And so something I tell people is that when we think about fear, we might think of a wall and it's a big wall. If it's a big fear, it's a bigger wall. And so there's this big wall in front of you and we're all scared to climb the wall. But the only ones who will ever climb it are the people that see what's on the other side of the wall. And I think we forget that sometimes. So when I thought about public speaking, I was thinking, okay, this is my biggest fear in life right now. I don't want to do this. I want to stay safe. I want to stay comfortable. I want to stay doing what I've always done. However, I recognize if I'm willing to tackle, this is going to increase my profile. It's going to increase my um, ability to get work. It's going to give me an, an additional revenue stream. It's going to allow me to express myself. It's going to allow me to build confidence. And so I think anything you want to tackle, one of the ways you can see, am I interested or am I committed, is to ask that question, like, what's on the far side of this for me? So you hear people talking about meditation and uh, wanting to meditate, but they struggle to stay consistent. 
I think the people that will stay consistent are the ones that see that, okay, on the far side of the work that's involved and the commitment that's involved and the energy that's involved, there are a lot of benefits. I think that's how you start selling things to yourself. When you're trying to, if you've got kids, you're trying to get them to eat their vegetables and you say, oh, you eat your spinach, you'd be like Popeye, you'll be strong. You sell it to them. Um, but for ourselves, we forget to sell it to ourselves, I think, sometimes. You said a couple of things in the course of what you were talking about there that uh, are language I recognize from a lot of the people I've talked to. Uh, and I'm just interested in how people come to these points. So you mentioned accountability, for example, and you mentioned consistency. And um, two of the kind of central tenets of most habit theories is that you have to be consistent about it. And one of the ways to keep yourself consistent is to have either an accountability partner or you also mentioned backing yourself into a corner. I don't know if that's quite how they say it in the books, but it's the same idea that you make a pact with yourself and that you really get out of easily, whether it's to another person or there's a prize pact or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm finding that a lot of people are using social media as their accountability partner. So you put up on social media, here's what I'm doing. And then the, the kind of pressure or burden of responsibility keeps you honest. It, was that the case for you? I think back then it was. I would say I'm in a very different place myself um, today than I was back then when I was doing a lot of these things that I did. I recognize now, I'm 33 now, a lot of these goals that I set out to achieve were in my mid to late 20s. And looking back, I see that most of my motivation stemmed from like an inferiority complex of not thinking I was good enough. And so chasing things outside of myself, thinking that if I achieve all these things, then the confidence is going to come. And ultimately, I achieved most of the things I set out to and almost the opposite happened. It felt like there was a magnifying glass on my insecurities and my my self-doubt and my imposter syndrome and all these things. And then I started doing a lot more self-work in terms of journaling and meditation and therapies and really looking at the way I talk to myself and the way I feel in myself. And so back then, yeah, I was driven by the fear of what other people would think. Today, I'm driven more by, I would say, meaning. So I still lean into fears, but I I look to meaning in my life rather than trying to gain power or trying to be happy all the time. And I'm driven by my core values now. I think this is really important to recognize that if we act in accordance to our feelings, There's days where you're motivated and then there's days where you're not. And if you wait for the motivated days, you're probably not going to achieve very much. But if I decide that my values that are really important to me and the way that I want to be seen in the world and the way I want to show up in the world is that I'm, for me at the moment, it's compassionate, curious and connected. Those are really important values to me. And so on the days where I'm tired or I feel like throwing in the towel or I feel like staying in bed or whatever it might be, I remind myself, well, I'm a curious person, I'm a connected person, I'm a compassionate person, and uh, I act in, in line with those values rather than my feelings. Do you think, and uh, at 33, I would say you're quite young to have arrived at these kind of insights, and maybe that's just because it took me till I was 40, so I think you're seven years ahead of me, but do you think, is there an element of age uh, and maturity that like you're not really looking for your life purpose maybe when you're 20 or all you are concerned about is success in whatever version that means to you or happiness but it's more about your success and your happiness than anything to do with purpose or legacy yeah i am um, i'm a bit like a broken record sometimes when i get on an idea but recently i've been looking at 
Logotherapy, which is Viktor Frankl's work, and just completed a diploma in that. And they look at these three schools of Viennese psychotherapies, and they said that first Freud came along and he talked about pleasure and pain. And so he said, as humans, we try to avoid pain and seek pleasure, and that's just how we're driven. And then Adler came along next, and Adler said, no, we're actually about power. We've got that inferiority complex that I mentioned, and so we should be seeking power and dominance in the world. And then Viktor Frankl came along, and Viktor Frankl said, no, it's not about those things, it's about meaning. And they mirror this back to, in theory, how we might develop as humans, whereby as a kid, we're all about pleasure and pain, like trying to be happy all the time. And then as an adult, we're all about dominance and overcoming that inferiority complex. Uh, sorry, as an adolescent, we're in that stage. So I think of myself as a teenager and the mask that I wore and how I wanted to prove myself to the world. And then in theory, as we mature into adulthood, we'd be looking for more meaning. So meaningful relationships, um, meaningful work, meaningful pastimes, uh, meaningful charitable projects, maybe. But we're looking for that depth as we get older. And obviously in the modern world, there's a lot of comforts and convenience available to us. And so we seek that pleasure and instant gratification all the time. And there's also the kind of keeping up with the Joneses and, and the will for dominance, wanting to get ahead and wanting to be successful, comparative to other people. And if I think about filling my life with all those things, it takes away the space for meaning. And so I think you've got to become aware of your addictions, become aware of where you're trying to impress other people and try to chip away at those things and get rid of them so that all that's left is meaning. Because I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Anker, who does happiness research. Yeah, uh, well, Sean, mostly through his TED talk, but yeah, <laughs> I have a yeah, passing yeah. awareness. And he's got that book, uh, The Happiness Advantage, which is yeah. worth a look. But one of the things he talks about is this difference. And I think it goes back to Viktor Frankl again. He says there's a difference between pleasure and happiness. And a lot of us get it wrong. We think that pleasure and happiness are one of the same. And I say, look, if I sit on Key Street with my friends and drink pints of Guinness, it's pleasurable. But we all know where that's going to end up in the end if I keep doing that time and time again. However, if I chase things that are difficult and I work on things that are difficult and I try to make a difference in some way in the world, no matter how big or small that might be, it'll be difficult. There'll be a lot of suffering. There'll be a lot of challenge. But that's where true happiness is found. And I suppose I've just learned from experience. I've done every type of thing I can do to try and become happy. And yeah, we get older, but do we get wiser is the question. And I think the way we get wiser is just to reflect on our own experience. We're very quick to read other people's books, but I think it's worth every year sitting down and saying, what have I learned in the last year? And the thing I suppose I had learned by the end of my 20s was I've chased everything outside of myself. I've relied on alcohol as an addiction. I've chased success. I've chased validation from women in my early 20s. I've chased business success. I've chased everything and it's never led to happiness. So there's got to be a different way of approaching this. You're at a really interesting cross-section uh, for someone who's interested in habits because you, I, mean, I don't even know if you've used the word habit yet, but you were talking about uh, a lot of habitual stuff about journaling, about meditation, about all these kind of things. Then you're also talking about um, far bigger, more whole concepts and Viktor Frankl and stuff. But then also you obviously have face-to-face contact with people who come to you. Let's just say for weight loss, or, and I don't know what your spread of work is now. Maybe your commitments are elsewhere now and you don't do as much of the, the hands-on kind of personal training or group training. But 
when people come to you, for example, and they're looking for, they say they want a six pack or they want to lose weight. How much of it now, knowing what you know now, do you start with the psychological well, like why, you know, do you think losing weight is going to make you happy? You, do you, or do you just say, do you know what, that's none of my business. Like, like, get on the treadmill there and have a good run and we'll talk, you know, just because it seems to me now and having heard you that it's obvious that just wanting to lose weight without knowing why you want to lose weight, you know, what, what the ultimate aim is or what you think that's going to make you happier or bring you to a perfect place. You might lose the weight, but you mightn't be any happier at the end of it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And you probably won't lose the weight. <laughs> um, I suppose I, I, I don't do any of the weight loss stuff anymore. And the thing that gradually got me out of that was worked with, I went from five clients on the local beach to 20,000 clients all over the world in five years or four years even, and through online courses. And it was a big, it was a big growth in terms of the business. But I suppose more interestingly, I found that all these clients are getting a similar plan. They're getting similar support. They're getting the same meal plans, recipes, everything's looking quite similar. Some people are thriving, other people are struggling. And it showed me that the way that we talk to ourselves is the most important thing in the world. And so if I'm someone, I'll give you an example. When I was in school, my story that I told myself on a loop for six or seven years was I'm not academic, I'm not clever, I'm not smart. And if you look at CBT or DBT or these different therapies, they'll say my thoughts have an impact on how I feel. So when I tell myself I'm not academic, I feel hopeless when it comes to school. And then my feelings will impact my actions. So when I feel hopeless, I don't bother studying because there's no point. And when I don't study, I get bad results in my exams. And that feeds my story of I'm not clever, I'm not academic, I'm not smart. So that's the self-fulfilling prophecy. So what I've come to realize over the years is just that once I change that message, that story that I'm telling myself, I change my feelings. When I change my feelings, I can change my actions. When I change my actions, I get new results. And that new results gives me a bit of confirmation that, okay, there's a different way of approaching this. But the big thing I really try to put across to people and I try to practice myself, I talk about compassion. I think compassion involves bringing awareness to your situation and bringing curiosity to your situation rather than judgment. I, I found in my 20s, I was like trying to stick to habits and I was beating myself up if I couldn't. And I was comparing my morning routine to the next guy's morning routine. And there was a lot of expectation on my behalf and a subtle difference. You talk about language, a subtle difference that I sometimes use as an example is that rather than asking yourself in a judgmental mental way, why do I never stay consistent with anything I set out to do? You wouldn't even have to change the language. You could just change the tone and say, I wonder why it is that I struggle to stay consistent. And maybe the answer to that is you're taking on too much at once, but you've learned something about yourself because you've been a bit more compassionate, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's very eloquently put as well. When you talk about the habits of your 20s that you failed to keep, do you think is most of that, that down to trying to take on too much too soon or do too much at the same time or that the habits you were trying to uh, achieve or accomplish weren't in line with what you subsequently found out were your values? Yeah, I, th I think a lot of things. I think one of the biggest lessons in my younger years, and again, I fall back into all these patterns. I'm very much a hypocrite and I think I should say that straight out that I go against these principles. Sometimes I fall off, but I'm just quicker to get back on. I think we should never give off the impression that we've got it figured out. But I think a big issue in my 20s was I was at point A and I was obsessed with point Z. 
and I never recognize B and C and E and F and G. And I see the people that are struggling the most in life tend to be the people that have a picture in their head that's very far removed from their reality. So there's a massive disconnect between where they are and where they think they should be. And I think you have to start with acceptance of where you are. Awareness and acceptance of where you are is the key. And so when I look back to my 20s, yeah, I was the guy that if I heard about meditation, I wanted to go and do a 10 day silent retreat before I had done 10 minutes of meditation. It was always this massive leap, again, inferiority complex. I'm not good enough. But if I do something really over the top, that'll make me good enough. And I think a lot of us have that kind of all or nothing approach sometimes. So the biggest thing that's been useful to me in recent years, one of the biggest things has been trying to get away from that all or nothing and, and just... Yeah, just have simple changes and really focus on simple. I put up a post a few weeks ago and I said, with this lock, lockdown that we're currently in, with this, the second six-week lockdown, my two commitments to myself were do my transcendental meditation, which is two minute, or 20 minutes twice a day, and get in the sea every day. And that's my only expectation of myself because they're like my, I think in habit, ha the habit world, I think they call them your keystone habits. You can yeah. pass that. Yeah, so... I know that if I get in the sea and I do 40 minutes of meditation a day, everything else falls into place as it should. And maybe I'll get more done. But I also know if I set in place 10 habits and I only get five of them done, I'm going to feel like I failed. It's an interesting uh, one because, again, just sticking with your past, I guess, like when someone decides to get healthy, for, I think that's the level of general, generality or lose weight. They tend, it, it's almost by definition in their heads, that's all in. So I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop eating junk food. I'm going to, so there's, they're not trying to do what, see, what they might say is one thing, like lose weight. They're actually trying to do maybe five or 10 different things. And it's just in my, what I'm starting to believe anyway, and in my experience, it's just too much. Whereas even if your goal was to lose weight, you'd be better saying as that keystone habit or your version of that, all I'm going to do today is walk for 30 minutes. And if your diet falls into place and if you don't do this, that and the other, that's great. But at the end of the day, as long as you've done, that's progress, that's moving forward. Uh, yeah, I used to have a, a principle that I would share with clients and it was the idea of um, let's get breakfast. And the idea with that was if I try to eat perfectly from morning to night, the second I fall off track and I make a little mistake, it's very easy for, again, the story in my head to become, you always self-sabotage, you never get it right, you don't stay consistent with anything. And again, that story brings about feelings of shame, the shame brings about a behavior of addiction of some kind, that leads to me falling off course completely and saying I'll start again next Monday, and so on and so forth, it just becomes this cycle. And so I would say, let's get breakfast right. And so we get breakfast right, we've collected a mini win, we've built some confidence, and then maybe you'll say, I think, okay, I've got breakfast, right? Let's do, let's do lunch and let's get lunch right. And then dinner comes and you say, I've got two out of three. Let's, let's get a full three. And there's not that expectation. It's something in logotherapy and existential analysis, they'll call it paradoxical intention. And it's, it's this idea that when you struggle to sleep, sometimes the anxiety comes in about how much you're struggling to sleep and you're trying to force yourself into sleeping, but that anxiety is there. And they actually tell you that I want you to try and stay awake. And when you say try and stay awake, the tension disappears and a lot of people will just fall asleep in that moment. And so in the same way, when I tell you, you don't have to eat perfectly and just get breakfast right, oftentimes the knock-on effect is the tension is gone, the anxiety is gone, the expectation is gone, and I can actually flow and make it happen. When you meet people now, 
knowing what you know. And I'm not, I know you're the first to say you're not the all seeing, all knowing, but like I can tell from just the last 20 odd minutes of chatting to you, you're very, you have a great awareness of what's going on in your own head and in your own world. So almost by extension, you have a good idea what could or should be going on in, in everyone else's. When you meet new clients or you meet people at your talks, your seminars, your retreats, can you tell, you said at, at one point you were giving, for the want of a better word, good advice to everyone, but some people were thriving and some people weren't. Did you start to be able to tell which was which early in the process? And, and if so, what are the tales of people who aren't going to be able to stick to the plan or who aren't consistent or who aren't ready, I guess, is probably the reality of it. Yeah, um, I guess there's a couple of different ways. Like we said earlier, there are the people that will come in and from that inferiority place or that place of lack, we'll make it happen. We can come from a place of desperation where things are so bad that we say, I'm going to change. I, I set out to achieve a lot of goals in my 20s and I ticked every box, not from a good place, but I still made it happen because I was so angry and frustrated with where I was. And so the intention of where we're coming from could tell me, look, there will be people that come along and I can see in their head that they're so strict and they're so committed to this, but not necessarily from a healthy way. But, but the big thing I, I, I like to see um, for people is, is an acceptance of where they are without a judgment. I think that you have to look at where you are and you have to just allow yourself to be where you are because change can only happen in the now. And so many of us live in the future in the past. Like the past is me blaming my past or shaming myself for wasting years of my life. But that does nothing. Only puts me in a, an awful feeling right now. And again, if I'm in an awful feeling right now, it's hard to change. And so I think it's important to just look at your position and just say, this is where I am. There's certain elements of my life that are work, working really well. There's other elements I would choose if I could, but I am where I am and, and I'm okay with where I am. And then you can come from a place of, okay, I'm going to move from where I am. It's a, I guess it's counterintuitive, uh, but that's been my experience. And again, I had to achieve a lot of things and, and reach a point of an existential vacuum of having ticked all the boxes and still feeling empty and being in a psychiatrist chair at my late 20s asking, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be happy uh, for me to get to this idea. But then I see other people. It was funny, a couple of years ago when I started doing seminars, I was confused by the client that would say, oh, I got one great idea and that's perfect. I had a really good night. And I would think, why don't you take more than one good idea? Now, in retrospect, I see they were the clever ones because they recognized their life was fine, but one little change could move them in a different direction. Whereas the client who came in and would come up to me at the end and say, Pat, this seminar changed my life. That was good for the ego at the time. But in retrospect, I see now that anyone that says the seminar changed my life is, is probably not actually going to change their life because it's too extreme. That's really interesting, Pat. That is a really interesting insight that, and I can relate to it. I can relate to when it, it particularly, I think happens when you read someone's autobiography and you feel like you resonate with them and you think I'm going to do everything they did. And you think it worked for them. I'm like them. It's going to work for me. We're home and hosed here. And I can also relate though to that where you just have in a conversation or a podcast or something that there is one takeaway, but like that, that, you know, you're going to do it. Whereas if you think I'm going to do everything in that book, again, just common sense and experience, I think will tell most people you're not really, you're just not. And partly that's, I think, and I'd be interested in your views, partly that's because when you're reading about these people or you're reading, you mentioned earlier, you were trying to have the best morning routine or the morning habits. But even when you read some successful person's morning habits, they didn't start with that successful routine one day. That's a routine that 
they developed over God knows how many years. Uh, and it took them that long because that's how long it takes. I remember being a teenager, I was mad into my weightlifting and Men's Health or Men's Fitness magazine would have The Rock on the cover, Dwayne Johnson or Sylvester Stallone or whoever it might be. And it would say, inside this month's magazine, you get The Rock's workout and nutrition plan. You think, oh, wow, if I, if I do the plan, I'm going to look like him. It's a bit like that. You forget that he's been training for 20 or 30 years. He's done every plan under the sun. He's done every supplement under the sun. This is one snapshot of what his life looks like right now. I think certain things resonate at certain times. And I used to be the guy, and I probably still am to some degree, where when I'm at a seminar, I'm taking down notes frantically for fear of forgetting anything. But one thing I have come to see is that you'll have an insight and the insight is the sight from within, the thing that you're not going to forget. There might be one of those in a talk and you don't need to write it down because it touches something inside of you uh, beyond language. I remember a couple of years ago, I was doing a seminar in Cork and there was a girl there and she was writing down everything that I was saying. And at the end, I got everyone to lie down on the ground and we did a, a breathwork, a Wim Hof breathwork, a couple of rounds of it. And it was a lovely experience. Everyone was getting really into it. And I was just chatting as we came out of it and sharing some ideas and she was straight back grabbing her pen and paper. And I felt like she was missing out on the experience of what was actually happening in the moment because she was stuck in her head and trying to, you know, capture what was happening. And again, I think that's something that can happen to us. We over-intellectualize everything. We live in our heads. We, we don't trust ourselves. Again, I think if you trust yourself when you listen to a, a teacher or a speaker or a podcast or a book, you'll hear what you're supposed to hear. And again, you'll feel it. You won't need to write it down. I'm just thinking about this concept of starting small, which is the, the leading books on habits now are really about, so Atomic Habits by James Clear, Tiny Habits, BJ Fogg. They're, they're about this, they all kind of look towards Dave Brailsford and marginal gains and 1% improvement. And, and so the whole concept is lowering the bar, starting slow, giving yourself a chance to succeed. And it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that is in your experience, what ended up working. So not making massive, huge lifestyle changes, but making lots of small changes. Yeah, I think the other, I think it's that, but I think it's also, there's that old analogy. If I'm driving from Galway to Dublin in the dark, I can't see Dublin from Galway, but I can see with the headlights of the car, I can see 200 meters ahead. And if I drive those 200 meters, I'll see the next 200. And if I keep driving, you have that trust that if I go in the right direction. But I think a lot of the way some of us set goals is I'm starting from scratch. I've never done a marathon before and I want to do this marathon. And so the disconnect between where I'm trying to go and where I am is so large that it just feels out of sight. So when I pair it back and I say to get to the marathon distance, I've got to get to the 5K it becomes that bit more accessible. So it's what you're saying in terms of making the habits a little bit smaller and more accessible. But I also think it's making the vision a little bit smaller and more accessible. By all means, have the big vision, the big goal, the big difference you want to make in the world, the big difference uh, you want to make with your health. But the example I often give is to say, when I lived in Dublin at 22, I decided in my head, we all decide in our heads, consciously or unconsciously, what success looks like. And I decided when I have 100 clients in the fitness space, I'll be successful. And the problem with wanting 100 clients was that in my naivety, I didn't recognize that to get to 100, you've got to first get your first client. You've got to treat them like gold. And when you get your first client, you treat them like gold, you get your second. And so I ultimately failed with that business. I came back home. I started again on the local beach. And that time I started with five clients 
and I had no grandiose goals. I just said, I'm going to treat these five clients like gold, like they're the most important people in the world. And within 60 days, I had 100 clients. So again, sometimes the expectation of where you're supposed to be is what causes this anxiety and this tension. When we talk about high performers. I don't know. I often think of Ed Sheeran for some reason. <laughs> and I think someone like Ed Sheeran won't have sat down and maybe I'm wrong, but I would see that as someone who's just very committed to his craft and he's more interested in the process than he is the outcome. And when that becomes your default, the outcomes just come out of nowhere. Like there's, there's certain things in my life in recent years that I never would have written as a goal. Like I've gotten to go out to the Middle East and present out there. My book has come, in, come out in Arabic. I've sold out rooms in London and I've presented in America. All these things were not things that I thought were possible. But what was possible was to work on my speaking every day, to work on my podcast every day, to focus on that process. And again, sometimes the problem with the mind is the mind can only see based on your current experience. And so the goals that you set in terms of outcome goals are only going to be within your, your current site. Uh, and you'll probably sell yourself short. Whereas if you come back to, okay, what am I willing to do every day without fail, whether I'm happy, sad, tired, anxious, or indifferent, what will I do every day? And for me, it's do some reading, do some writing, do some presenting of some kind, and just keep doing it and never miss a day. And who knows what happened. Do you think, Pat, if I'm massaging your ego, it's not intentional, it's genuine, that part of your success is... <sighs> how would I put this, being normal, being so normal that everyone can relate um, to that. So sometimes I think when high performers or these people who hold themselves out as experts in any particular area, there's just a disconnect between their world and mine or the real world. So where I'm getting at is, I don't know if anyone else would have come up with the edge here in analogy, but it makes sense to me. And I just... That, I think it would make sense to most people. Yeah, I, I think like it's a weird space to be in, right? To be doing this motivational speaking or whatever you want to call it. And I'm very conscious and, and cognizant of the fact that like the only way I can back this stuff up is to live it and, and to see it in everything that I do. And be that, see examples of the things that I talk about or be the example of the things that I talk about. And I live in Galway. <laughs> I live a pretty normal life. And so I see these principles in everything that I do in the real world. I'm not on a stage in California. I'm not, I don't have any grandiose uh, dreams of, of, of doing anything like that. I love my life. I, 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 my life is filled with, again, studying, presenting, training jiu-jitsu. I live the life I want to live on a daily basis. And so I don't need to get anywhere anymore. And hopefully that's reflected in, in the stories I share and, and the way that I present. And I always, it's funny, as I say, I, I told myself I wasn't academic, clever or smart when I was a kid. And it's almost been a gift because I think what I can do is I can take principles that Maybe you have, like I'm, I'm studying a lot of psychology the last couple of years and I'm back doing a master's in psychology and I'm studying all this stuff and I'm like, oh, well, I already know that. I just didn't know how to put it academically, but I could tell you 10 stories about it. So probably a bit of a tangent there, but yeah, my, my, hope, is that, my hope is that people think things are possible because I can do it. I think in, in my experience, so when I used to be on the radio, the expression they use is people like us, um, so that people gravitate towards, want to listen to, want to engage with people like them. It was the same on the radio. So the idea was if someone turned on the radio, that they should think that the person they're listening to would be 
like them and say, oh, I like that person. I could see myself going for a drink with them or having the chats with them. I think that's, if you can connect with someone on that most basic level, then, you know, you have a very real natural rapport. You're now in, a, in obviously a very good headspace, but there's still stuff that you do every day, which still interests me from a habit point of view. And I'm not too sure which way to go at it, if you like. You've mentioned some habits that come up a lot in terms of uh, habits of successful people, happy people, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'm not saying that's why you're doing them, but maybe we'll just chat a little bit about some of those habits and whether you think they're universally beneficial, how they helped you, how you got into them, how you made them a habit. So let's start with meditation. You talked about uh, transcendental meditation twice a day. You also talked about uh, people who say they want to meditate, but then they can't get into the habit or they can't make it a practice. So Mm -hmm. Just at its most basic level, if you don't mind, and because I expect that's where some people are starting. And by the way, that is one of my favorite quotes. You haven't used it, but I'm sure you're, you know it anyway. The um, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Yeah. Quote, I have that and I have another post that I've talked about before on my wall, which is today is the first day of the rest of your life, which uh, it just is how I think about these things. That's that second quote, something someone said to me that really... I think mirrors that and, and it helped me a lot. They said, you'll never be as young as you are today. And so I think I was in a time of, I'm convinced that at the end of your 20s, there's a grieving process. <laughs> yeah. people, might think, might, people might think I'm daft, but you're leaving one chapter of life behind and you're moving into another. And uh, I remember having a bit of regret over how I'd spent my 20s and I felt time had passed me by, all this kind of stuff. But someone said, you'll never be as young as you are today. And that brought me back to martial arts and it got me into surfing and it got me into so many things that I had told myself I should have done when I was younger. Never too late. You you mentioned martial arts. Like I've wanted a black belt in karate since I saw the karate kid. And do you know how many karate lessons I've been to, Pat? I'm sure you can guess. None, not one. (laughs) Um, Talk to me about meditation then. Pat decides he's going to start meditation. And then I feel like one of those um, creative writing courses where we finish every (laughs) sentence with and then. I'll give, I'll give you my experience thus far. I look at Tim Ferriss and all these guys for years. I'm studying Tony Robbins and these guys since I was 13, so 20 years now. And I'd always heard about meditation. Um, I knew there was something in it, but I couldn't do it. I, I would close my eyes. I felt, no, I'm ADD, I'm this, that, and the other. I would inconsist- inconsistently meditate throughout my 20s. And then I went and did a week with Wim Hof back in 2015, maybe, in Poland. I spent a week with Wim and we did the breath work and the cold immersion and what i found with that was it was an entry point uh, you'd feel really good in your body and your mind would really settle through that breath work and at the end of the i'm not sure how familiar you are with wim hof but it's a very active kind of breathing and then you do breath retentions and there's a lot of videos you can follow along on youtube but at the end of doing a couple of rounds of wim hof i'd always just stay there for a couple of minutes in silence and that was my entry point to meditation. And then it got to the point where I, I didn't do the breath work anymore. I would just do the meditation. And um, the transcendental meditation has been a new thing. I just wanted, I'm a meditation teacher. I'm a qualified meditation teacher, yoga teacher, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted Don't some... say it's so casual, Pat. You make me feel <laughs> bad about my life choices. I <laughs> know, uh, look, doing it is harder than teaching it. I've studied a lot of courses, do a lot of courses, but I wanted, I thought the TM would be nice in that you go to your facilitator, It's something you can't teach yourself. So I wanted something separate to my work. And as I say, it's two 20-minute sessions a day. You repeat a mantra that you're given for 20 minutes and that's it. And 
making it as applicable, I suppose, as possible to other people. Straight off the bat, 40 minutes seems like a long time, but someone said to me, it's 3% of your day. And are you willing to give up 3% of your day for the other 97% uh, to be, you know, that bit easier? But I think the biggest struggles for us with meditation, there's two big struggles. One is it's hard to see your progress. So if I do five push-ups today and I can do six tomorrow, I feel like, oh, I'm getting better. Whereas meditation, you don't see that linear progress. And then the second struggle is we think that we're supposed to switch off our thoughts and they're not supposed to be there. So my encouragement to people would be, again, start small. It's the same as what I'm saying with goals. Like you have to let go of your expectations about how things are supposed to be or how things should be. We have that part of our mind that just wants to box everything off and put it in its neat and organized place. And we want to have a transcendent meditation. We want to have a, a spiritual experience. If all you do is close your eyes and breathe in for three seconds and out for six, and you do that for five minutes, you've just meditated for five minutes and you feel better. That would be where I would suggest people start. You, by all accounts, seem to have tried uh, lots of things from Wim Hof to everything in between and, and the martial arts. Is it a trial and error what works for you what doesn't work for you do you often try stuff and i'm not i know it's not the the wim hof method but let's say try the wim hof method and go no that's not for me is because it sounds like nearly everything you've tried has worked or that's certainly the impression that i get i know i've done loads of stuff i did acting classes (laughs) i had done a couple of yoga classes and i went and did my yoga teacher training i don't particularly like yoga so that was 200 hours of yoga just to see if i liked it I, I, i don't do yoga um, but is this yeah. part of the, the, the kind of one, one person said to me and I never really thought about there's some things I, I instinctively think of as right that's a habit and then there's others that I don't and so someone had told me to develop the habit of being what was it endlessly curious and I, I firstly I just never thought about that as a habit but you seem to use it in a, a value way in a habitual way as a, a habit of thinking and I guess I, I suppose I and maybe many other people don't really think about habits in in terms of thoughts. But of course, we do have habitual thoughts as well. We more think of them as like giving up alcohol or smoking or whatever, rather than develop the habit of being curious, for example. Yeah, we all have confirmation bias. So everyone listening to this has a story about the way the world looks and the story is not accurate, uh, myself included. So the algorithm, your internal algorithm, if you go on social media, if you go on YouTube, YouTube gives you dozens of videos that match your current interests and likes. And and it's got an algorithm that fixes for you to see more of the same. And the same is true of our confirmation bias. So the part inside my mind that scans my environment and only finds the stuff that matches how I see the world. And so I believe that everything that happens outside of myself is an assumption. So your voice tone, I could assume uh, you like me or you don't. Is someone answering the phone? I could assume that they're helpful or they're not. Everything's an assumption. And so curiosity is such a gift in terms of Again, being curious with yourself. Why is it that I struggle in certain areas? Being curious with other people. I wonder why my dad's, you know, always quite hard on me. I wonder what, why he sees the world in that way rather than judging everything. And, and I think, again, it's as you get older, you start to see that you don't have it all figured out. And, and I like being wrong because if I'm right all the time, how boring is life? Well, yeah, 
but it's like you, you mentioned earlier uh, immersing yourself and digging in I always say it's a cliche that I always used to say at job interviews that I like being thrown in at the deep end but I you know the bit that of that sentence that I never say is as long as I know how to swim there's an element of wanting to to, to do these things even as we're talking you said a, a sentence earlier why am I struggling to be consistent and that's really stuck with me the whole time you've been talking and I'm just I'm going through my own process now, which of course, I'm sorry, Pat, I should be giving you my full and undivided <laughs> attention, but that's just not how the world works. That I'm wondering, it feels now, there's a question I don't want to answer. I think maybe sometimes I wonder if that's why people don't get to the answer because they get close or close-ish and then you know, realize actually there's a bigger question here. Or the reason I'm not being consistent is like a, a big thing that I need to deal with. So we'll just park that for a while and we'll come mm. back to that question another day, if you like. I'm not saying they do that consciously, but that's maybe what happens. Yeah, it's, uh, but it, yeah, my belief is just that it stays there. So I'd rather go at it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, why, why do we procrastinate? We procrastinate because we've got a fear in some capacity. So the reason I don't do the thing I'm supposed to do and I, I waste my time on social media is because okay, if I do what I'm supposed to do and I release content out into the world, people are going to judge me. And if I'm judged, what does it mean about me? Then I have to look at myself, I have to make peace with myself. Because a lot of my, again, my 20s was, I want everyone to like me. And when you want everyone to like you in a society where our tribe is thousands of people, you think about it years ago, we would have 150 people in the tribe. And so you could just about keep everyone happy and, and stay safe. Now we've got we've got divisiveness and we've got polarity and if you say the wrong thing you're kicked out of the group and whatever it is we're trying to keep everyone happy and so i would say procrastination and fear and not i'm not saying just not putting ourselves out there but you know sometimes the meaningful work whatever the meaningful work means to us does involve risk and risking our identity and risking how we're seen and risking how we're judged and so there is deeper work there but it's, it's a case of do i want to be honest with myself but it's different for everyone i guess we will have our own experience of it do you still procrastinate then is this again i'm just wondering where do you end up if you follow some of these paths for someone who <laughs> spends too much time eating junk food and watching netflix and thinking great thoughts about doing good things um that's me by the way obviously um, <laughs> you know, i suppose where i'm coming from in this is and i spoke about this on a previous episode um i once did a hypnotherapy uh, course training so qualified as a hypnotherapy coach uh, and we did a specific session on smoking cessation um, mm -hmm. for hours with our teacher and in the whole class. And um, then when I left to go home for the night, I saw the teacher and the two kind of assistants or whatever you want to call them um, driving past, smoking their brains out. And I went, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Something about this is just not right. And so there's this kind of, uh, again, and you can be very hard on yourself, knowing there's not enough we must do and all that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. like, now that you know as much as do, is there an extra burden on yourself to, oh my God, I can't believe I'm procrastinating, even though I know all this stuff about myself and I have all this insight, or is that part of your being more uh, compassionate with yourself, I guess? It's actually made me more compassionate with other people, I would say, and myself, because it was funny. I did a call not too long ago. There was 200 people on this Zoom call and people were asking questions and getting on video. And after lots of intricate questions, this older guy from London got on and I'm not going to try to do his accent, but he said, Pat, how is it that 
we know what to do, but we don't do it. <laughs> Everyone just took a sigh of relief and they were like, that's the only question that ever matters. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about, it goes back to where we started today. There's interested and committed and you can't be committed to everything. So I think for me, I outlined a couple of projects that are important to me, my jujitsu progress, a book that I'm working on, my podcast, my relationships, my meditation practice, my education. And then outside of that, there's not a huge amount going on and I will procrastinate on other things. We all have a, we talk about values in terms of, okay, compassion and kindness and curiosity and creativity and all these kind of values. But the other way you can look at values, which is based on Martini's work, is that my top three values in terms of things that I like to do and spend time with are coaching, coaching, education, and I like adventure of some kind. Those are my three values. And so when it comes to those three areas, I'll never procrastinate on those things because I love them. They inspire me. They light me up from within. But then there's a million things in my life that are low on my values. I don't care about accounts. I don't care about statistics. I don't care about small talk. I don't care about, there's lots of things. And so on those areas, I'll procrastinate. And so it's the same with everyone. The reason a lot of us procrastinated in school was because we didn't care about the subjects. But if everyone in school somehow was allowed to pick the subject they're interested in, nobody would procrastinate. So the person that says, I'm a procrastinator, that's a judgment on themselves. That's not true. Because as much as they're a procrastinator in one area, they're an action taker in another. Um, and, and again, it's just perspective. And I had a client recently and she was telling me she's a procrastinator. And she spends her days watching YouTube videos of SAS to Who Dares Wins and programs about soldiers. And I told her that's a mirror that's that's mirroring back to you that you need more adventure in your life. You're inspired by that. You're not procrastinating on watching that stuff because it inspires you. It lights you up from within. So there's healthier ways of achieving that. But again, it's the curiosity piece. Where do I procrastinate? Where do I go when I procrastinate? And what's that telling me? Could be useful. Could be very useful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking about that from a personal point of view, that when you procrastinate, okay, sometimes it's just watching Netflix, but other times for me, it would be watching interesting TED Talks or it would be doing stuff to do with this podcast story. So it's, yeah, it's in, you're right. It is interesting. I will have to give it a bit more thought. Um, so I get just to wrap up with a couple of just general queries. I, I I'm starting to ask this question less because I realize that almost inevitably the answer is there isn't one or that's not the way it works. But I suppose I'm just, while I haven't let go of that yet, I'll ask it. Is there one uh, or two habits uh, in the kind of more traditional sense, let's say the Wim Hof, like a cold shower or uh, the meditation every day, or particularly journaling, which I'm quite interested in if for no other reason than google says it's a good idea and whether we like it or not when people are trying to develop good habits the first thing they do is google something about it so this is what people are coming across and i'm just wondering in terms of foundational habits or or anything like that at a very practical level if you were going to say to someone like i've started like talk about going back to complete basics my uh, habit for this month is purely to be properly hydrated every day that's the only thing i have to do and that has made a big difference. So for you, is there any one of those things that people can readily grab hold of and say, so it's 10 minutes of this a day, or it's journaling every day, or it's whatever? To me, to me, it's journaling and meditation. Journaling completely changed my life because I could make sense of my mind and I could find my shadow and understand the parts of myself that I had hidden away. 
So journaling and meditation, those two things, I think, if there was to be two universal practices, and the purpose of them is they both allow you to meet yourself and to see yourself and to understand how you operate and to go beyond your impulses and your compulses and, and just become more conscious, not to sound spiritual or fluffy, but a lot of what we do in the day is unconscious and reactive and habit-based and as in unconscious habits that maybe aren't empowering. And so meditation slows things down. I can just see the madness in my mind and what's going on and maybe I can act in a different way. And journaling allows me to ask questions and have a conversation with myself. So again, it could be the one that you were saying you're thinking about now of why is it that I struggle in certain areas? Why is it that I procrastinate in certain areas? You get the answers to that, not in a book, because I can read a book under the sun they're never going to tell me about my worldview, about my understanding, about my history, about my beliefs, about my narrative. We're all living in a narrative. We all have an unconscious story that we're living in from our childhood. That's Jungian, but that's been the case for me, at least, that I can, through journaling, I've come to see that, okay, the story I've been living to a large degree has been that I'm a one-man show and I'm a one-man army and I don't fit in. And by figuring that out with a journal, I can now choose that, no, I don't want to live that pattern anymore. I want my next chapter to be about connection and leaning in and getting to know people on a deeper level and being vulnerable. And um, so those two practices, I'd say meditation, just observe your thoughts. Don't become, step away from the storm rather than be in the storm, step away and then journaling, have a conversation with yourself daily. I think even my own um experience is just listening to you i've never thought about that before like journaling i just do it the same way so i came up with a kind of a list of questions that i would ask myself at the end of every day but now listening to you like that question about i wonder why i'm struggling with consistency would never that wouldn't have gone into the journal because it didn't fit in the kind of formula I had for journaling. So I won't say I, it strikes me that I, I'm possibly doing journaling wrong, but that's, yeah, I, I just wonder how do you learn to general write the journal the right way for you? And maybe it's experimentation. Do you journal the same way today as you did when you started? No, I would say it changes all the time. There's a lot of different approaches. I have a journaling course I can send on to you. Um, Please do, Fat. Yeah, give us my page, will you? <laughs> free for you. I have also a free course if anyone wants to hop on. It's goalsetting.ie. That's got 14 days of prompts. A couple of resources that might be useful for people. The Artist's Way is one way of journaling. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah. That's Are you basically. talking about morning pages now? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be useful. So that just clears up some of that madness of your mind. So just a stream of conscious three pages every day now can um, i ask you a question about that pat mm, because yeah. i'll tell you what made me hesitant about this for anyone who doesn't know it's twilight harp's book and and the concept is every morning you write almost stream of consciousness style three pages just get it all out there and um, i still have that part the teenage part of me that is afraid my sister would read my journal like presumably the three pages can contain some fairly dark and batshit crazy stuff that is part of the process isn't it yeah, the answer that's coming to me as you say that is that gives you another journaling prompt. What would it mean about me if somebody else found my journal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if these, but these are the questions, I suppose. But isn't that part of, that's what I mean by sometimes you get so far down these roads and then you realize that you wouldn't want people reading your journal, which I think is something that an awful lot of people will relate to. And that opens up a whole Pandora's box of what am I afraid people will think of me? What might I write in those pages that I wouldn't want other people to see? Why wouldn't I? Like, that's exactly what I was getting at earlier. And so I reached that block. I, I read about the morning pages. I was like, that's a good idea. And the very first thing, 
<laughs> just laughing now. The very first thing I thought of was, right, I'm going to have to buy a shredder to make sure that I shred those pages every day so no one can read them. And I honestly, after I decided, right, I think I'll do the morning pages, I went on Amazon and I looked at how much it costs to buy a shredder, which is incidentally a little more than I would have expected. <laughs> From a practicality standpoint, I do think there's some websites where you can actually input this stuff and it just goes, I don't know where it goes. but There is, but I've heard that it's better if you write it. There's more of a connection, apparently. Yeah, I would believe the same. Uh, yeah, it's no, I'm sorry, no, there's, not, there's no question there. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just, I, I hope I'm articulating what a lot of people will feel. Like the reality is a lot of people aren't as comfortable in themselves as you are, or we, we might be still back where you were in your 20s. And there's a bit, there's, I'm just learning from these conversations. And one of my favorite things about this podcast is I've just gotten to talk to all these really interesting people and conversations I would never have been able to have before. And as I'm sure you've gathered from talking to me, I'm, this is a, a really, it's not, it's a selfish act in many ways because it's given me this opportunity to learn more about myself and other people in the world and all sorts of stuff. And you come away from it with your mind whirring with kind of ideas and concepts. And again, trying to just, every time I finish one of these interviews, the rest of the day is almost a write-off because I'm like, wow, okay, there's a lot, there's a lot going on now. <laughs> Need to have a little lie down. But yeah. It's, it's uh, great though. We talked about curiosity earlier in the podcast. You're practicing curiosity here because you don't have an agenda beyond having a conversation and seeing where it goes. So I would suggest that's you practicing curiosity. And then um, it's funny though, you bring that up because I mentioned morning pages recently and the exact same question was the first question that someone um, prompted. Other, other little uh, couple of resources, just just because I am such a proponent of journaling. There's a book called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon, and he promotes sentence stems. So sentence stems is really simple. You start a statement and then you allow yourself just to, again, stream of conscious, just brain dump. So it could be I would find more consistency in healthy eating if dot, 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 and then you just write. I can um, answer that one, Pat. If the healthy food tasted better. <laughs> okay. W was so covered I, in chocolate and had more sugar in it. No, we can't <laughs> say that. But, but, what, but what we would do in that instance is you write down all your ideas and then we say, okay, so the one that's jumping out to us is if the, food, if the healthy food tasted better. Your next sentence then becomes the healthy food would taste better if... And you're, again, you're saying I'm not allowed to say it was covered in chocolate, correct? <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. And do you know what? It, 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 this makes sense to me um, because I think the first time I probably tried a salad, now, like, this is, as I say, my eating habits are not good. So let's put that in. So I would never have volunteered for a salad, ever. Wouldn't be on my agenda. Um, but then I had a nice salad and I was like, oh, and I think maybe the first salad I ever had or the concept of a salad, I just thought rabbit food, nothing tasty. I, I suppose I never even thought about salad dressing. Now, I know let's not get into a separate conversation about how some salads can be worse for you in the McDonald's because of all the salad dressing and stuff. But that, I assume I know what uh, good food tastes like or food that's good for me tastes like. But that assumption is wrong, <laughs> effectively. Yeah, that's the same thing again, right? Everything outside of ourselves is an assumption. Um, and that curiosity, again, can be the thing that breaks the shackles of whatever our stories are about how things should be or, or how things... But even as I talk about this journaling, I think it's important for anyone that's considering it to, to approach it again with a, a 
no expectation. You don't need to achieve anything by doing this. If all it is 10 minutes or 15 minutes in the day where you turn off the phone, then you've won already. And then any little insight that does come through is a bonus. Maybe one more thing. We talked about jiu-jitsu briefly earlier on and um, martial arts and karate and these things. We had an instructor at one point and he would do a stamp system where every time you train, you get a stamp in a book. It's like the Jerry Seinfeld thing where yeah. every day he wrote a joke, he did the red mark on the calendar. And the theory was, if you write enough jokes, one a day for a month, hopefully there's one or two good ones in there, as opposed to waiting for inspiration and maybe waiting for the full month and nothing coming through. In the same way with the martial arts, every time we'd train, we'd get a stamp. And you'd have to train 300 times before you got your next belt. and what struck me when I was looking back at the cards with all the stamps in them was that I have no idea looking back on those cards, how many of those days I wanted to train, how many days I was tired, how many days I felt injured, how many days I felt sad, how many days I felt busy. All I know is that I showed up for myself. And you might take that approach for yourself with whatever your practice is that for the next 30 days, whatever you choose to do, whether it's drinking the water in the morning or it's trying to meditate for five minutes or it's journaling for five minutes, just get a calendar, put an X on the calendar, stop waiting for your feelings to be in order before you do these things. And there's a paradox in that because that doesn't mean you pretend your feelings aren't there. You still acknowledge how you feel. But So I might say, I feel tired, unmotivated and hopeless today. However, my core values are compassion, curiosity and connection. And so I'm going to, in a compassionate way, do some self-care practices and follow through on what I said I would do. I think it's really useful. I think we spoke at one stage about that one kind of aha moment or or whatever from any of these talks. And for me, and it'd be interesting to see actually from if people comment on the podcast or on the links, what their one takeaway was. But for me, it's, it's the curiosity piece. It's about uh, being more curious about, you know, why things are as they are. And particularly, it's a more resourceful question to ask than, as you say, the tone of it. Like, why am I struggling with consistency? Because if you approach it from that point, even just as I say, this is an, an hour since we started this. And I'm, I myself now am interested in genuinely finding out the answer to the question. Whereas if I'd started with the bottle it again, or I can't do it, or you only last it. And that's one of the... One of the things that I found interesting about the habit tracking thing, so very quickly, Pat, I sounded like I was winding up there, but now I've thought of one more thing I want to talk about. <laughs> um, the, the, the habit tracking thing is really interesting because I spoke to Professor Wendy Wood, who wrote the book, Good Habits, Bad Habits, and she is like very scientific about it's all about the science so there's no real space for kind of fluff or emotion or goals or anything like that she's just it's about repetition it's about consistency it's about rewards so she doesn't really i won't say she opposes the habit tracking and the seinfeld method or anything like that but she says it has nothing to do with actually forming the habit from the science point of view so what she said was i think the habit brain or the habit part of the brain doesn't care whether you mark the calendar or not if you've done the thing that your conscious mind is marking the calendar about that's what the habit mind knows it doesn't know anything about what you've marked and i just found that really challenged me because i just always thought that marking the calendar tracking your progress what measure what gets measured gets done all that good stuff it was really important but i am one person who has and you touched on it yourself about when you're 20s really struggled with when I miss a day or when I break a streak because I go very hard on myself. Let's just say you said for the next 30 days, 
I'd be saying to myself, Jesus, I only made seven days and I missed a day. What the fuck is wrong with me? That kind of way. Yeah. So it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, that habit tracking. And I read someone, just a post on Medium that said, the real challenge is what happens when you miss a day and how you react and how you talk to yourself and what that does to you kind of maybe determines whether the habit tracking thing is a good idea or a bad idea, that it mightn't be a good idea for everyone if it's counterproductive. I think the, there's a business coach called Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach is his business. And he's, a, he's a, just a unique thinker. I like how he thinks. But one of the things he talks about is the reverse gap. And the reverse gap is this idea that there's always a gap between where we are and where we'd like to be. And it's like the horizon in terms of you'll never reach it. So as you walk closer, the horizon moves further away. And in the same way, when I walk toward my goal, my goal moves further away because we always move the goalposts. And so it's very hard to find confidence when you're always moving in a direction of forward progression and measuring your success by what you do today. And the reverse gap is the idea that we measure backward and that's where your confidence comes from. So to your example, let's say I commit to 30 days of exercise and on day five, I miss a day six, I miss a day. At that point, my confidence is probably gone. And it'd be very easy to say, I screwed it up again. That all or nothing approach, one flat tire, let's slash the other three. But this reverse gap idea will be, well, no, let's rewind to when I started this challenge. Where was the win? I did five days in a row. Why is that relevant? I've shown myself I can do five days in a row. How do I build upon that? Um, I get back on the wagon from today. What's my next action step? So there's four questions there and that might be useful for people. What was a win for me in this area in recent times? So it could be anything. You might, I don't know, let's say you're doing these podcasts and one of them doesn't go to plan. You could feel your confidence drop and you could feel what's the point or whatever it might be because that's just how we are. We're emotional beings. You'd ask, what was a win? I've done 11 interviews. I had none, no interviews done a month ago. Now I have 11 done. That's huge. Why is that relevant? I've shown myself just how much I can achieve. I've stepped out of my comfort zone. I've achieved more in a month than I had in the previous 12 months with this area. So what and why? And then you ask, how can I build upon this? I get back on the wagon next week and I do three interviews next week. And then finally, what's one tangible action I can take to move myself back on track? Probably again, I know we're going around here, but something that's been big in my life is recognizing that change isn't a switch. We often think someday I'll wake up and I'll be happy. And it's like a light switch where you flick it and it's changed. I think change and happiness and I think everything in life is fluid and it's Someone said to me last week, everyone's looking for balance in life. They're trying to balance their life. And he said, it's not about balance. It's about balancing. As in life is changing all the time. So we're always trying to adapt and trying to balance it out, balancing. And probably in the same way, you'll fall off track. I'll fall off track for the rest of my life. I'll have sad days and difficult days and everything in between. And so the challenge then is just reorientating and getting back on track when I do. So it's not a one fix, quick change. Yeah. Pat, you know what? I'm, I, we're going to have one of these chats every week. I'm going to have to come up with new ideas to interview you. It's been really uh, interesting and helpful for me on a personal level. And I have to say, I, I know in advance that I'm going to have to remind myself of the last couple of sentences because I've enjoyed this chat. And if nobody else listens to this podcast, I've still got this value out of this chat. So when I'm looking at my analytics going, why the fuck is no one listening to this podcast? I'll remind myself that even if no one's listening, I got a huge amount out of it. I'm not sure if you did, probably not, but uh, oh, I, <laughs> winners and losers, I guess. I've really enjoyed that. And, and look, that's a great place to finish probably in terms of back to Ed Sheeran, right? Ed yeah. Sheeran has an analogy where he says that 
someone asked him, how do you write great music? What's the secret? And he said, it's a bit like turning on a tap, an old tap that hasn't been used in a while. You turn it on and at first there's muddy water, but you keep going, then the water goes clean. And what he was getting at was you just, you just do the process. You just keep showing up. And over time, again, the results take care of themselves, but it's putting in the hours. So you're doing that with this and it's great. And you allow me to do the same. So every time I get to share my ideas, hopefully they come across a bit more concise or bit more clear in my own head and so thank you for that it was clear to me trust the process pat thank you so much for your time have a great day you too uh that was the very impressive pat Deville. Uh, i i think uh i don't know i i just he feels to me like the kind of person that we would all just like and like to go for uh like to go for a pint with um if you uh, want the transcript, you'll find it on my website, which is thehabitshabit.com. If you want to find out more about Pat and his courses, you'll find that at patdevilli.com. Um, if you enjoyed that podcast, it would be a massive help uh, if you would leave a review, if you would do some ratings on whatever your platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher or Spotify or uh, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Um, the way this whole thing works is their algorithms depend on what you people say to decide whether other people should be told about this podcast. So, uh, that will be a huge help. Next week, uh, I, do you know what? I don't even know who's going to be on network sh- next week's show. I have interviews recorded from Brezzy. I have interviews recorded uh, with Keith Barry, with uh, oh, a, a whole host of people. Um, so many good guests that I'm actually genuinely not sure who to who to play next. Um, suggestions always welcome if you want to get in touch at any stage you'll find me on twitter uh, on instagram and you can email brian at thehabitshabit.com please leave a comment and please do subscribe and uh, we'll have another episode for you next week